0: if you're innovating, creating, or making a difference. This show is for you. Welcome to Over Coffee. I'm Doc Cannon. Here on Over Coffee, we talk with artists and innovators about the process of changing the world in terms of what they do.
1: Because simulators are great ways for the students to learn how something might behave in real life, we are working with robotics and mixed reality to conduct simulations.
0: How do you empower students and communities around the world? For multiple award-winning bilingual educator and instructional designer Javier Montiel, there are all kinds of answers to that question. And many of them include designing space habitats, using virtual reality, and creating robots in XR. Javier is the co-founder of Houston-based International Aerospace Academy an organization dedicated to exporting world-class educational standards while engaging students through hands-on learning. In November and December of 2021, the International Aviation Academy and the Aviation Youth Mentorship Program implemented the only initiative to take the NASA SPARKS program both inside and outside of the United States involving several hundred students in Latin America in the hands-on program based on the Artemis space exploration. And this was just one of the projects in which Javier continues his work of linking Latin American students with NASA resources. But for Javier, who teaches in Clute Texas, his work is not restricted to Latin America. It's about empowering everybody. Javier, before we get talking about an amazing project, that you were piloting, I would love to know where the inspiration started for you that made you a global educator and an innovator that you are today. Well,
1: one of my first decisions to become a, a global educator was because an inspiration of a student that I have. I've worked 17 years ago with kindergarten students. I'm still a, I'm a teacher, so. Whenever I was in my first year of teaching, I didn't know any better. So I begin to run out of ideas. So back then, I didn't have any ideas of what a tick was or what I was supposed to cover. And then in my desperation, I begin to ask students, hey, what would you like to learn? And then I begin to make some notes about what the students were telling me. And they were telling me something crazy like horses or, or mermaids or something like that, you know, but there, it was one specific student that really impacted my career. That student, I'm here in front of you because of him. That student told me that, hey, Mr. Montiel, I would like to go to Mars. And then all students begin to laugh. And I was fre- fresh out of college and I didn't knew better that we couldn't go to Mars. So I told the student, hey, we can probably go to Mars. And then I begin to develop a series of lessons just specific for that student as well as others. But, you know, those lessons that I designed eventually ended years later in NASA headquarters because one teacher that was with us back then, she moved to NASA And then years later, she came back to our school and I presented a few videos that I had with the students working with this series of lessons that I designed for doing like a virtual reality trip for students back then to Mars. And then her name is Lisa. Back then she was Lisa Nesbitt. She told me, hey, uh, why don't you come and join us? to develop some lessons for this initiative that it was uh, 21st century explorers. And I was a volunteer developing some lesson plans for that initiative. I was developing these lessons for about a year and it was a great experience because it was inspired by one of my students. Then that branch of NASA closed. It was a uh, contracted work from that organization. And I have already my lessons and some of them were published. some of them were not because for you to develop a lesson for NASA in that specific project, you needed to probably spend like almost half of a year going back and forth with Soviet matter experts and other scientists that were reviewing what you were writing. So it was a big experience and a great experience, one of my best experiences of my career. And then, You know, that branch closed and then the lessons, they were, some of them were not presented. So another colleague, another teacher told me years later, you know, that was probably in 2011 or something like that. And back then, whenever I was starting teaching was in 2004 and the lesson plans were developed in 2007. So you can see the big gap between the years. And this teacher told me in 2010, hey, you have those lesson plans and you have these crazy ideas with your students that you're doing robotics from distance because the students were driving some robots from different parts of the world. One of them were in UK. Some of them were here in the United States. And she told me to present these lessons in a conference that is called Space Exploration Educators Conference, which is in Space Center, Houston, and I submitted my application. I didn't know that I was going to be selected, but, you know, eventually came the email. To my surprise, I was selected to present those lessons, and I am from Mexico. I've never presented in English before this, this time, and it was kind of overwhelming, but it was exciting at the same time. So. One of the lessons that I designed was about comparing and contrasting legends of the moon from Mexico and Japan. I saw some people from Japan and I was trying to make uh, a relationship with them. Back then, we didn't have this term coin as well as we have, which is networking. So back then, I was trying to network with these people from Japan. They were very great hosts. you know, They were great guys. And then the next year, whenever I talked to them, one of the people that was in charge of bringing some students from Japan to the United States, he told me that he was interested to expose the students from Japan, that they have never been out of his island, which is an island called Shimane. They came from a university that is Shimano University. So this university prepares a lot of, you know, degrees and stuff, but one of them was teaching. So this teacher from Japan was bringing the students with him for the space conference, and he told me to try to coordinate a program which the students can come here to the United States and see one American school so they can learn how to be open eye about other cultures because they have never been, you know, as I was telling you, exposed to other other countries or other ways to make things available. So I began uh, this project with him and it lasted probably like seven years. We were bringing students from Japan here to tour our schools. And one year was JAXA, JAXA is the equivalent of NASA in Japan, who came here to the United States, and they presented some lessons that they were tailored to Japanese students, but they wanted to see how a Japanese lesson can perform in a, an American classroom. So that was the beginning of my career, you know, by the inspiration of a student that eventually took me all the way to develop some curriculum for NASA bringing students from japan and now i'm fortunate enough to be working and collaborating with other friends from mexico i'm teaching well i'm leading an initiative there with other mentors which is david david garcia and dr jesus cimental they are good friends of mine and we are collaborating to bring students to uh, compete here in the United States, two different competitions. One, you already know her, which is Jill Sander. She works with MATE. And there's another program that the students develop, which is the Human Exploration Rover Challenge. And they come here every year to compete in Huntsville, Alabama. So, you know, I was telling you, I'm very, very fortunate because I can see how people from different countries behave differently according to the same project. So that's something very interesting for me.
0: I would love to know a little bit more about the different approaches for a lesson about space for the Japanese students versus what you would teach here. How did you see the approach different for the Japanese students learning that? space?
1: Um, you know, the students from Japan, they tend to be very organized. And One year where the students came here to the United States and my friend Makito, which was the, the lead coordinator for the program, he brought the students from Japan and they were doing some origami. And the students here in the United States didn't have the fine motor skills that the students from Japan had. And the students were kind of frustrated because they couldn't do the lesson. But it was an open-eye experience because they assume based on their culture that everybody can fold paper. But that was not truth for this case. What he told me, Makito told me that the students from Japan, whenever they are in kindergarten, they do a lot of folding paper because that's embedded in their culture. But here in the United States, we don't have the, the approach or the vision why we need to fold paper, but in Japan is something that is embedded. So that was one of the experiences that I have based on two countries working, trying to work with the same project at at the same time.
0: Goodness, I'm thinking if I had to fold paper, I'm just remembering trying to fold paper snowflakes back in school, and I was not exactly a student (laughs) at that. You have just implemented a fascinating sounding program, NASA Sparks, that had, if I have this correct, students from four different countries over two months working together remotely to create a space environment and a robot in XR. How did that mm-hmm. come about for you?
1: Okay, so we have been working with this group, which we call the International Airspace Academy. Those are individuals that are eager to learn. We have this collaborative group where teachers can join and we develop some learning experience design. So we have been working with this group for several years and, you know, we have had teachers back and forth, but we have cemented one big group with teachers from Colombia, Mexico and Puerto Rico and the united states as well but one of the most important things for us is how to teach virtual reality from distance and we didn't just stop on that but we wanted to explore different approaches how to use different hands-on activities as well as digital experiences so we kind of merge those technologies to build bridges, and to spark the imagination of the students into a certain way that the students need to solve a problem. So NASA SPARKS is a a program that is being developed by NASA, by Paragon Tech, which is a contractor from NASA. And they are implementing this program for probably 500 schools here in the United States. And our team with the Aviation Youth Mentoring Program, which is a partner with us, they are trying to help us as well to push this initiative out of the United States. So our group is the only group that is developing and try to work with this program out of the United States with different countries. So our team was interested to solve this problem of how mix robots with augmented reality. And the reason was because sometimes we are limited in the physical world. And we have some robots that come from Lego, for example, that they just have a certain way to be configured or you have limited pieces, but you cannot put anything around it or you have, for example, other robots from different companies and they're just one way to put it together. So our idea was to explore how to put like a digital core or a digital shape or shell on top of the robot. So that way the students didn't have the limitation of the physical world of the robot, but they can design concepts based on sketches and then CAD. So the students first have to draw some sketches, they did some design thinking, and then they develop this same sketch so the students can develop it, so they can put it on top of the robot. So that's something that our students and teachers are working with, and we're gonna be presenting this same project in two sessions in Space Center Houston.
0: When will you be presenting these?
1: We're going to be presenting this initiative on February the 3rd and February the 4th.
0: And the International Aerospace Academy's recent collaboration on the NASA SPARKS initiative is just one aspect of their work.
1: We're hoping to be selected to incorporate even more students in Latin America and here in the United States. So we're going to try to leave again this big initiative with probably thousands of students that are going to be working with us. You know, the NASA SPARKS is not related to what we are presenting. So there are two different initiatives. For the second NASA SPARKS, which is going to be the season from spring, we're trying to work with more schools and more partners around the world and one of the initiatives that are going to be impacting is from Chiapas. Chiapas is, it has a lot of challenges in education. So we're going to be working with a friend that I have over there. He has this, it's like a small trailer. And with his own money, he purchased the trailer, the truck, and he equipped this mobile app for him to take to different zones in Chiapas, which are very, very far away. So we're going to be working with organizations and individuals like him to try to empower his community through science and technology so he can incorporate NASA sparks and the students can have the same opportunities that we have here.
0: And if somebody listening is a teacher or even a homeschooling parent and would like to know more, how can they find out more?
1: They can go to our website. Is the aerospaceacademy.com. We don't charge, we don't usually charge because we're hardworking teachers and we are very passionate. So our biggest motivator is for students to be imaginative with their skills. So one of the or our goals for our organization is to try to incorporate students to build solutions based on Technology research, and meaningful projects. So this is one of our goals for our students.
0: The aerospaceacademy.com. Now, VR was not that widespread about 10 years ago. How did you first become interested in VR as a teaching vehicle?
1: Okay, so one of the first approaches that I had was first with habitats. So I was very fortunate to visit NASA in Johnson Space Center. And they have this huge, huge habitat from a program that is called HERA. HERA is a program from NASA where they isolate people for long periods of time so they can test subjects. So whenever they go to Mars, they kind of know how people will behave in an enclosed environment with low privacy for long periods of time. So I was thinking how we can develop something like that because I was very fortunate, but not everybody has the fortune to be inside NASA facilities, seeing this kind of crazy project and learn about it. So that was one little spark that was in my mind, how to do this opportunity for everybody. And then, You know, we have a lot of developments of different lessons where the students design some habitats, but they are scaled. So they are very tiny and sometimes they can be made out of PVC pipes and stuff, but they are still limited because our physical world is is limited, you know. And one of the ideas that I have was to produce 3D printed habitats. So, I began to explore how to do those same habitats with 3D printing. And then I discovered that there was a way, or if there was a way, to use these same models back then, probably, let's think, probably like five years ago, we didn't have this virtual reality spread, as like you said. So, I was researching how to use CAD models into something that it was easy for the students to to see, because with virtual reality, you can go inside, even though you have a small scale habitat. So the idea that I was trying to incorporate was how to research that pathway. So I began to explore different tools and websites and different approaches. And there was one that was standing among a lot of the programs that I was researching, and it was co-spaces. So I made a contact with them, and I realized that they have an ambassador program. So I wrote to them to become one of the ambassadors. I had to go to a selection process and install. I had to submit like an essay, submit like a 3D model and that kind of stuff. So I was fortunate enough to be selected to be one of the ambassadors. And then I began to piloting this program finally with the idea that I had back then, which was going inside habitats. So during the pandemic, it was very interesting because we were trying to reach some students and they didn't have contact. So I make a contact with a friend that I have from Mexico, Professor Max. And we were trying to pilot this program for the first time with students because I presented this session one year before the pandemic. And it was just the framework. But I didn't have the actual students developing this program for this first time. So we were trying to do this project and it was very, very successful. The students were very engaged because they were developing the habitats, but not just that. They were coding the habitats and they have some robots that they were trying to move, how to plant. And it was just a simulation for that. So that was the first steps, how we started to incorporate a virtual reality in our practice. Now, the idea to explore, you know, robotics with mixed reality was based on the terms that, you know, our world, our physical world is limited. So we want to extend more the simulation because simulators are great ways and opportunities for the students to learn how something might behave in real life just having a concept. So we are working with robotics and mixed reality to conduct simulations.
0: What was one of the favorite things that you saw your students come up with that really wowed you while you were doing this program? One
1: of the first things that I saw and one of the first videos that I saw was that here, for example, in America, we take for granted that probably some students might have robotics kits in their schools, or you can go to the store and might get like a robot or a little toy car that you can probably work with. But in different countries, like in Mexico, we don't have that luxury. So one of the first videos that I saw and one product that one of the students designed was a very eye-opening opportunity for me to learn about how people from different backgrounds or trying to solve the same problem using what they have. So I saw this student that used an old remote control from a toy car. It was all tear up, but he put it all back together. He even had a wooden stick sticking out. He connected that remote to a few servo motors from, I think, from an old radio you know, with a tape recorder and stuff. I think he tear apart that. He used cardboard and for wheels, he used some lids from, I don't know, from Coke or water or something like that. So he used this robot that it was made from scratch, basically scratch, you know, cardboard, plastic, and an old remote control. But he followed our framework to design a robot that was digital on top of it. So he was controlling the remote control, and with his cell phone, he was seeing something different, not just the toy car that he made from scratch, but it was the digital image of a launcher from from Kennedy Space Center that they have this big SLS, and then the animation stopped, And then you can see the SLS going to the sky. So it was very interesting how different students with limited resources can have different approaches just following the same framework that we designed.
0: When you mention limited resources, what can we do in the future to make opportunities like this more accessible to students who may not have the resources, who can't go out and get that little toy car or whatever, maybe it doesn't occur to them to find a couple servos and an old remote.
1: You know, is I think it's the imagination of the students and it's up to what they have in mind. Because to create beautiful things, you don't have to have like the latest technology or the latest toy or the latest iPhone to to run all of this. I think imagination here is the key. And having the students to imagine how to solve a problem by just sketching. And then one of the things that we can also incorporate is just a basic computer, because now computers can run different programs. One of them is Tinkercad, where the students are gonna have the like the baby steps in order for them if they want to go more professional to more advanced programs like SolidWorks. so these are like the baby steps if they want to achieve something better in the future but at least you have this approach so i think one of the first things and trying to answer in your question is to use the imagination of the students and try to incorporate and build bridges with technology, with computers, so that way the students can learn from both, from the hands-on activities as well as the digital world.
0: I was sorry to see that NASA Sparks is going to have a deadline of people enrolling of January 12th, which will be after we post the podcast, but what do you think is going to be happening in the future for NASA Sparks? Do we know yet? They haven't said too much about that. But
1: I think NASA Sparks, right now, the way they're doing it is they are piloting the program. They are releasing to some individuals that are interested to see how this program can be incorporated to different students. But NASA Sparks is not just for virtual reality. We chose to use virtual reality because that's the interest that the students have. But NASA Sparks has a lot of opportunities for students, not just in robotics, but one of the products that they have to develop is a habitat or a 3D model, which can be made out of recyclable materials. So we use that kind of concept and we added the digital layers to create simulations with mixed reality. There are other there's going to be more programs because in, in the Sparks that our students participated, we have, I think, four different DO keys or depths of knowledge. So we have first like the first and second, they were based on the Artemis mission. Then we have a third one, which was a debate and a fourth one, which was an apps program for students. So, We didn't participate in DOK 3 and 4, which was the debate and the apps, because our focus was more on the students to understand what NASA is going to be working in the next following years, which is the Artemis mission. But eventually, in this second phase of NASA SPARKS, they are going to be pushing more aviation, more apps. They're going to be open, more opportunities for students to explore like the solar system and that kind of themes for everybody that is interested.
0: I'm hoping that people can get some updates on, would that be the website that you gave before?
1: Yes. So our students, whenever they participate, we try to post the work that the students are developing in our
0: website. Once again, that website is the aerospaceacademy.com. What did you consider, as a teacher, one of the most important things you learned from the NASA SPARKS program? That
1: there's different approaches to the same problem. So, as I was telling you, one of the first opportunities for our students was to learn from some lesson plans that NASA designed. So, we didn't just stop on that, but we also get some experts in the field like we have different guest speakers before we actually did the lessons. So we have, for example, in our first session, we have Valeria Rodriguez, which was helping us to understand how to do sketch noting. whenever someone was speaking, for example, you and myself, and she was helping the students how to do some sketchnoting as you were talking. So that was something that we wanted to explore for the students because that's a skill that they're going to be carrying that for the long term, for their future, and for for life learning skills. So we also have a guest speaker from Kennedy Space Center. He's an engineer, and he works with the rocket that is going to be launched. So is the SLS. We also have other guest speakers which were... The students from Mexico that have been working very, very hard for trying to get some community involvement into their, their activities because they have to have some certain activities for them to be considered for a price. They illustrated the students with their experience as a student because, you know, teaching Students as teachers, sometimes they see you like someone that is grown up, that probably you're not in the same generation as the students, especially teenagers. But if you have students that are actually students from engineering, and they are telling them about their own experience as engineering students, how they are solving problems, how they first became interested into STEM education, it is more likely that the students are going to be listening because it is the same students that are being communicating peer-to-peer. So that was something that was fun to explore.
0: How can people best support you? I understand the academy is mostly volunteer.
1: Yes. So what the best way to support us is if you are interested to develop a program, we have some frameworks that can help you to develop some tailored program for your school, for your organization. As a matter of fact, I'm just working with the students from from Latin America. I'm also helping, for example, a university from Romania. Uh, They are the Carol Davila University from Pharmacy and Medicine in, in Romania. So they came to me and they wanted to explore how to incorporate space into their practice, which is medicine. So we begin to brainstorm how they can do it. And we found that the students wanted to have inquiry skills for research. So one of the programs that we selected was from Magnitude. Magnitude is an organization that is in California and they develop crazy stuff. They send seeds to space in order for them to grow with a microbe, that this microbe is in symbiosis with red clover, which is the plant that we are growing in this organization. So they are now trying to incorporate these lessons into their practices, and then we are going to be developing another program with them and with Dr. Raluca Papacochea. She's uh, the lead director of one branch of the School of Medicine, and we are going to be helping the students how to develop 3D printed models based on CT scans. And those same models, we can visualize them in virtual reality. So these are kind of the programs that I help organizations and schools to develop.
0: It seems that if anybody has an idea for, quote, crazy stuff, like the child that first said they wanted to know about going to Mars, that would be a total win.
1: Guys, yeah, it's not impossible, like I told my student.
0: What about failure? You've mentioned on your website that you can't really have engineering without failure. Was there one good failure that taught your students something in the course of either NASA SPARKS or any of the other programs in which you've been working?
1: Yes, I was reading some of the reflections of the students that when we have our NASA SPARKS, they have a survey, and some of them were very touching because they have this experience as newbie students because they have never been working with this kind of programs in remote learning like we're doing right now. So you can see like the impact of what COVID is in their communities, how they can communicate and the crazy amount of skills that they need to have in order for them to build on top of those skills to present a program one of the students was telling me that sometimes she didn't have time, but she was very eager to learn that she has to put extra hours to help to develop this program. So I'm very, very proud of her. So some of them were saying that they have to, to really go deep into the programs for virtual reality. So they really learned because... What we are trying to work with the students is this design for them to learn because that's the only skill that teachers can provide them because, you know, we can have a curriculum and stuff. But actually, whenever you teach the students how to learn by themselves, you have a mild goal over there because the students are gonna be lifelong learning students. So that's something that I saw in the survey that the students were writing.
0: I love that when you were doing NASA Sparks and just about anything else I see, art students aren't left behind either. What Mm -hmm. would you say to any art students who are thinking, well, maybe this isn't for me, I'm not a science person. You know, this is why
1: we have one of our first conference was with Valeria. Valeria Rodriguez, she's one of the most, for me, it is a very smart person, which she has these two capabilities of being technical and at the same time artistic. And I'm kind of the same way because I I think I can use both sides of my brain because I can use science as well as art. So she is one sample that the students can see by themselves how they can incorporate sketch note, and she also have given some workshops in the past how to design like architecture sketching for the students to be able to develop the programs a little bit later so a lot of the things that are related to cath modeling are based on sketch and that sketch come from arts, from forms, from textures, everything that is related to art. So they use art as a vehicle to build something that is beautiful, that can be virtual, that can be almost tactile for the students. So art is in the core center of our program because art is not just something that can be hanging to the walls. Art is something that can be useful and art is one of the currents that can lead the people into change. Like, for example, whenever, you know, we have the surrealist movement, people were more aware of the dreams. And whenever we have, for example, Dadaism, it was an era where people were protesting. And we have the Renaissance as well, which was a big gap between the Oscarism that we have before. So art, is what changes society, and we need it.
0: I totally agree with that. Finally, Javier, if people could only get one thing from you as an innovator about innovation, creativity, and making a difference, what would you really like them to take away from your work? I think the first thing is how to
1: make learning meaningful for the students. I had one, I call him mentor, which was just a conversation that I have with a friend of my father, with my dad. Whenever I was in college, my dad and two other guys from a company, they designed suits for people, you know, and they work for the second largest factory in the world. They have big brands that they were producing the suits or coats. And we went to a field trip with them because they wanted to open a new plant. And my dad was kind of in charge of that project as well. And those guys, all the way from my hometown, which is Cuernavaca, to another state, which is Guerrero State, they were thinking about how to develop a school that was practical, not just theoretical, because they were seeing that whenever students were graduating from college... They didn't have this experience, they just have data and knowledge, but they didn't have this learning that is embedded into experience. So if something that people want to take from me is how to design knowledge or experiences that are relevant for the students, because those experiences are the ones that are gonna be impacting the future of the students, and they're gonna be leading the way of the students in the future.
0: Javier, thank you for your time today. Thank you very much. It was my pleasure. You and I have been listening to education technologist and bilingual instruction designer Javier Montiel, co-founder of the International Aerospace Academy. Find out more about Javier's work with the NASA Sparks Challenge and other initiatives at theaerospaceacademy.com. That's the AerospaceAcademy.com. And that concludes this edition of Over Coffee. Thank you for listening. Listen to more Over Coffee podcasts at 2mavericks.com. That's 2, T-W-O, Mavericks, M-A-V-E-R-I-X. And you can contact us at 2mavericks at gmail.com. The music you're hearing is royalty-free production music provided by Pond5 at pond5.com. I'm Dot Cannon. Here's wishing you a cappuccino day.